Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads. We're here to serve you in any way that we can. For more information about our resources or our church, you can check out hope at crossroads.org. Online, you can find access to other resources like devotionals and study books. Thanks again for joining us. And now let's start this week's message. Thank you, worship team. I hope you've, church family, you've received a blessing already. If you haven't, somebody beside you needs to punch you and wake you up. Make sure you have a pulse uh, because the Lord is here. If you've got your Bibles, please turn to Daniel. Surprise. Daniel chapter 8. We're going to be in Daniel for just a few more uh, weeks. We will finish probably right around Thanksgiving and then we'll move into our Christmas messages. So the book of Daniel, somebody asked me this week, uh, wow, you, you must think you're really smart to study the book of Daniel because it's very complicated. No, 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 quite the contrary. I am but a wee brain trying to discern the big things of God and that's uh, wow. But we, we have to read the things of the Bible that are complicated as well as the things that we like to read that are simple. So that we understand what God is about on the, uh, on the earth. Uh, and you'll remember if you were here last week, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel had what we might describe a nightmare. In this chapter, he's going to have more of a vision. And he has a vision for some things that uh, he sees that are in the future, some of which take place in his lifetime. And some of those things that he sees are yet to be fulfilled. And uh, if you have been tracking along or maybe you've done your homework in the past and you've studied the book of Daniel, you'll know that it is uh, a book of prophecy and a a book of visions, uh, a book about empires and a book about end times. And uh, it has a lot of things in here that will be useful to us. Uh, I don't know if you're a history buff or not. I am not. Wish I'd have paid better attention in school when we had those history classes, some of which I actually took twice, and I still wish I'd have paid more attention the second time. Uh, But for those of you that are history buffs, then you probably will enjoy this. Now, we tend to, when we read Scripture, when we find things that are kind of just, kind of feel monotonous, we we start to go to sleep. Don't do that. Okay, you could easily tune out in this chapter, but there are some things that I believe the Lord wants to, to share with us. There is a lot of history, and somebody said to me recently, and I think it's true, history is his story. You're important, and I'm important, only in as much as our story fits into his story. Because it is his story. We are merely a part of it. And Daniel chapter 8 helps us learn a little bit about it. So let's dig right in, starting with verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Belshazzar the king, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, subsequent to the one which appeared to me previously. And I looked in the vision, and it came about while I was looking that I was in the citadel of Susa, which is in the province of Elam. And I looked in the vision, and I myself was beside the Uli Canal. Now, let me just stop right there. It's interesting that Daniel sees in his vision a specific location, a specific place. And I don't know about you, but it's great when God gives us ideas or visions, and he's very, very specific. 
and what he tells us. Sometimes he's general and sometimes he's very specific. And at the end of the service today, I'm going to share with you uh, what I believe are some very specific things that God has for us as the body of crossroads when it comes to our vision for the future. Very specific. He's very specific in this vision that he gives Daniel so much so that Daniel sees himself in this place, which if you have done your homework, you'll know that the location that he talks about in uh, verse 2, this province of Elam, is just east of Babylon, about 250, 300 miles. So he's seeing all this vision, and here's the vision that he sees. He lifts his gaze, verse 3, and looked, and behold, a ram which had two horns was standing in front of the canal. Now the two horns were long, but one was longer than the other, with the longer one coming up fast. I saw the ram budding westward, northward, southward, and no other beast could stand before him, nor was there anyone to rescue from his power, but he did as he pleased, and he magnified himself. So... Let me stop right there. When we get down to verses 15, 18, right in there, 18 through about 25, this angel is going to appear to Daniel, and he's going to give him the interpretation of what is being described. I'm going to kind of go and tell you that as we go along, so it'll make a little more sense as we're actually reading these verses. Verses 3 and 4 talk about this ram. And this ram represents the Medo-Persian Empire, one of the great empires that's been on the planet, the Medo-Persian Empire. And we see this ram that's budding in every direction. It was a huge, strong, mighty empire at the time. And so that's the description there in verses 3 and 4. But then it changes in verse 5. He says, while I was observing this, this ram, I see a goat. He says, a male goat was coming from the west over the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground. It's like a flying goat. I know there was a show, I think, about a flying nun, some of us remember, but now we have a flying goat. Okay, can you, can you picture this, this vision, this very interesting vision Daniel has, this flying goat that was over the whole earth, did not touch the ground, and the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. And if you, again, know your history, and once we get to the interpretation at the end of the chapter, he will tell us that this goat represents one of the great conquerors of the world, Alexander the Great. Now, I don't know if you know much about Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire. One of the things that was so amazing about this young ruler was the speed at which he conquered the world. I mean, he would go into one territory, he would overthrow it, go into another territory. It was just like hyperspeed. He was conquering all these other people, the speed at which he conquered the world. And that's the description there that we see where this goat is flying without even touching the whole earth, the surface of the earth. This goat is flying about. And we find out in verse 6 that he came up to the ram that had the two horns, which I had seen standing in front of the canal, and rushed at him in his mighty Wrath, And I saw him come beside the ram, and he was enraged at him, and he struck the ram and shattered his two horns, and the ram had no strength to withstand him, so he hurled him to the ground and trampled on him, and there was none to rescue the ram from his power. There is this huge, can you picture it, this huge war that's going on, and the Medo-Persian Empire hated the Greek Empire. So there's this huge war happening, and Daniel is seeing this in his vision. 
Verse 8, the male goat magnified himself exceedingly, but as soon as he was mighty, the large horn was broken, and in its place there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. This dream and vision gets more complicated and weird all the time. Maybe Daniel ate bad pizza the night before. I'm not sure what happened. When you ever had a weird dream and you're like, what in the world does this thing this that makes it this vision of all these things that are happening, all these animals conquering each other. And what's interesting about this vision that he sees and the description that he gives to us, it describes these empires more than 100 years before these things actually happen. Daniel sees this vision. That tells me something, church. It tells me that this book that we carry around that maybe is collecting dust for some of us on our coffee table at home, this book that we carry around is a supernatural book. What it's describing, the things that it's describing, the prophecy that it's talking about that are going to happen tells me it is a supernatural book. And it tells me the word of God is true. These things that Daniel sees in his vision that come to pass tell me that the word of God is true. I know our, I know our world wants to tell us that it, some of it is fiction and some of it's a fairy tale and some of it's make-believe. But the word of God is a supernatural book and it's true. And one of the great things as well about prophecy that you see happen all throughout the Bible, and we could even look at the life of Jesus, all the prophecies that were told about Jesus that came to be true through the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior, the Lion and the Lamb that we sung about this morning, all those things that are true. I want to encourage you. We, We don't follow this book by blind faith. All the prophecies that are in here that have come true give evidence to the fact that this book is real and true. So if you are criticized maybe by some friends who don't know the Lord who say, well, you just follow that book and it's just a fairy tale and none of it's true, you need to know prophecy and you need to be able to pull out some things and say, well, wow, this book was written all these years before and look at all these things, prophecies that have come true, especially and most importantly in the life of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't, we don't follow this book haphazardly or as people who think, wow, we're just following this blindly. No, this book is a supernatural book. And I would go so much to say, even further to say this, things that we see happening in the world right now, on your television set or on your social media feed, that is happening in different places in the world, watch closely because they are prophecies that are coming to light and coming true even right now while you're on the planet. Which tell me that we are, as the angel tells Daniel in just a few verses to come, we are in the end times. So let's talk a little bit about this Alexander the Great that's being described in these verses Maybe you, like me, needed a little refresher course on who he is or who he was. Very powerful king. He had, he had a vast empire. And he had incredible, incredible cultural influence. As a matter of fact, Alexander the Great's goal was, which will also be the goal of the Antichrist who is to come, Part of Alexander the Great's goal was to have everybody think like a Greek, read like a Greek, no Greek literature, no Greek 
art, no Greek culture, no all about. He wanted everything to be conquered and to be his way, be a cultural just wipeout of any other thought processes, any other ideologically, ideology so that he could be all important. And here's what's so interesting in his great maneuvers of swiftly conquering the world. Little did he know that he was just a player in God's story. He was just a, a chess piece, so to speak, in God's story. You say, Pastor Jack, why would you say that? Well, it's interesting. Again, if you know your history, which is why I need to know it better than I do. The Greek empire was so effective at just infiltrating every part of life that what happened was the common language that became language of the land was called Koine Greek. So everybody knew how to speak Koine Greek. And because they knew how to speak Koine Greek, in so doing, when you look in the book of Acts, when Peter spoke to a whole lot of people who really didn't know who he was, they were able to understand him because everybody spoke the same language. Oh, did Alexander the Great should have known that he was merely a pawn in God's plan because God was going to use the fact that he wanted to overcome the world in preparing the world for the return of Jesus Christ. I just want to encourage you. Some of you are really discouraged today, and you look like you like you're recovering. As a pastor friend of mine, you say from a hookworm treatment. Smile at your neighbor. Just look at your neighbor and smile, and say it's okay. I know it's hard because we look at some of the things that are going on in our world, and we get really discouraged. I just want to remind you, as we study the scripture, one of the things we can learn from Daniel 8 is God used what looked like an empire taking over the world to prepare the world for the gospel. What God does, God can use the plans of men to bring about his will. You look at what's going on in the world right now and you may be freaking out, you may be worried, you may be concerned. God Almighty, the Lion and the Lamb, is in charge on His throne, not forgotten you or I. He knows where you are. He is here. He is here. And all these things that are happening are in preparation for the kingdom of God to come about. And what's going to happen as the kingdom of God gets nearer and nearer is people who say they are followers of God, we're going to find out who really is and who really isn't. So this is what's happening. Daniel is seeing all this chaos in his dream and in his vision. And it says in verse 9, out of one of these, out of these four horns, out of one horn came forth a rather small horn, verse 9, that grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, toward the beautiful land. It grew up to the host of heaven and caused some of the host and some of the stars to fall to the earth and trampled them to the ground. It even magnified itself, see who this sounds like to you, it even magnified itself to be equal with the commander of the host and be removed from the regular sacrifice from him and the place of his sanctuary was thrown down. Now if you study a little bit, and trust me, I've had to study a a lot. Daniel is not an easy book. But when you start reading about this, He's talking about a person called Antiochus, Antiochus IV. Antiochus was an interesting person, and we're going to read the remaining verses there that kind of describe him, but just to kind of let you know, he was a huge, verse 11 tells us he even magnified itself to be equal with the commander of the host. 
He hated the Jews. Hated the Jews. Church, are you watching the news? Are you, are you seeing all these people rise up, even in within the borders of our own country, that are hating the Jews and hating the nation of Israel? I, I, I'm not as mature and sophisticated as some of our older folks in the congregation. But it's, I look at it and I'm going, wow. I, I never would have thought I would see this happen in my lifetime. That there are people, even in the borders of our country, who are hating the Jews and hating Israel and calling out for the destruction of Israel. If we're not in the last days, church, I don't know how much more longer it's going to be. That was very similar to Antiochus that Daniel sees here in this vision. Antiochus was, called himself, we, we see the word there, let's see, where is it? Verse 11 and verse 12. Verse 10 even describes Antiochus. On account of transgression, verse 12, the hosts will be given over to the horn along with the regular sacrifice. It will fling truth to the ground and perform its will and prosper. Interesting. This guy, Antiochus, hated the Jews. He wanted the Jews to leave their culture. And if you study about him in 168 BC, when he came to Jerusalem, he seized the temple on the Sabbath. He was a, a nut job. He was a crazy guy who came in and so wanted to just offend the Jews and destroy the Jews. He had several pigs killed and poured their juices all over the temple. He just did crazy, filthy, just really nasty, ugly, demented things. He hated Jews. And interestingly enough, the Bible tells us right there in verse 12, all of these things he did, he's being described there, all of these things he did, and yet he still prospered. Does that make you angry? Is it just me? When I see people who are evil and who do things wrong, and who basically snuff God and, and, and call God out and blaspheme God, and you look at their life and they just keep seeming to prosper. Does that drive you crazy or does it drive me? I, you know what I want to say? Take them out, God. Wipe them off the face of the planet. Some of you being honest, I see you nodding. And then all of a sudden God goes, that was you before you knew me. So that rage, I sometimes have to control a little bit. But it's interesting in this dream, there's a group of people that also must be asking the same thing because verse 13 says, all of a sudden this madness in this vision that Daniel has, he hears a holy one speaking and then another holy one says to that particular one who is speaking, how long is this vision about the regular sacrifice apply while the transgression causes horror so, so as to allow both the holy place and the host to be trampled? In other words, how long are we going to put up with this? How long do we have to endure this craziness? How long is this going to go on before somebody does something? Isn't that an interesting question? This is not in my notes. I'll just challenge us 
as a church with that? That's a great question. How long? How long is the world going to spin out of control? How long is this going to happen and that going to happen? Somebody ought to do something about it. And you know what I would say? God's got a room full of somebody sitting in this place that should, could, and ought to do something about it. It's called the church. If our, if our goal, church family, is to do business as usual, I need to tender my resignation to this congregation. If those days were ever over, they should be over now in light of, they should have already been over, but they should be over in light of what we see happening right now in the world, the imminent return of Jesus Christ. There is no time to play games. It's time for us as a church, instead of looking at all the chaos going, somebody ought to do something. How long is that going to go on? We ought to rise up and say, here I am, Lord, I'm ready to do something. There's nobody in here that's too old and there's nobody in here that's too young. Every person, if you have a beating heart and the Holy Spirit within you, guess what? You qualify. You might say, Jack, I don't know the Bible well enough. I can't do it. Or I can't connect with the students like that. I can't do it. Or I can't connect with the older folks. I can't do it. Wah, wah, wah. Call the wambulance. You can I'm here to tell you, not based on me or based on you, but based on the Word of God, you can. If you're a child of God and you have the Holy Spirit in you, you can. Jesus would not have told his disciples before he ascended to heaven, hey, all power I'm giving to you, the Holy Spirit I'm giving to you, the comforter I'm giving to you, you can do greater things than I've done. He would not have said that if he didn't mean it. Otherwise, he's a liar. And Jesus is not a liar. So these angels are crying out in the same way. These voices that are crying out, who's going to do something? How long is this going to last? And someone, verse 14, says to Daniel, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the holy place will be properly restored. Now, if you do your math, if he's talking about our kind of years, it's six years. Now, there have been, and if you, if you really like history and you like Bible stuff, you can go study this for the next 50 years. That one verse, come and see me in 50 years and you still probably won't have full clarity on what that verse means. Because there's been all kinds of interpretations about what that verse means. Does it mean six years or wait a minute, it's mornings and evenings. So if you cut that in half, does it mean three? What does it mean? What does it mean? Even back in the 1800s, nobody here would remember this. Back in 1844, there was a guy who interpreted this verse of Scripture and had everybody believing that in 1844, Jesus was coming back. So many people believing that people were selling their possessions. They were getting rid of everything. Because they thought, 1844, it's the year. Running up their credit cards. They didn't have credit cards in 1844. <laughs> Checking to see if you're paying attention. Some of you go, hey, that's a good idea. If we find out when he's coming back, we just, no, that's not a good idea. Don't, don't do that. And a lot of people thought Jesus was coming back in 1844. He, he didn't. If you're wondering, he didn't come back in 1844. 
So there's a lot of ways we can interpret this scripture. But one thing he tells us in that verse is the holy place will be properly restored. We know that that particular scripture has been fulfilled because we know Jesus actually went to the temple. If you study John chapter 10, Jesus went back to the temple. The temple had already been cleansed in John chapter 10. He went back to the temple. It was called the Feast of Dedications and he was there. So we know that this scripture has already been fulfilled. And that cleansing that happened in John chapter 10 is the cleansing that happened after Antiochus desecrated the temple in the way that I described to you just a little bit. So this guy was just crazy. His Greek name that he used for himself was Epiphanes, which means glorious one. So when he would walk into a room among his comrades, he would introduce himself as Epiphanes, the glorious one. And when he would turn his back and walk away, the crowds would actually call him Epimanes, which meant madman, crazy lunatic. (laughs) And he is an example, he is a symbol for us of the Antichrist. And so verse 15 picks up this interpretation. It comes about... Daniel sees the vision, he seeks to understand it, and behold, standing before me was one who looked like a man. And I heard the voice of a man between the banks of Uli, and he called out and said, Gabriel, give this man an understanding of the vision. Interesting, he calls out Gabriel, the angel Gabriel. There's a couple angels that we know by name, the angel Michael we know, the angel Gabriel that we know. Here Gabriel's right there in the midst of this vision. Daniel hears all these voices, and somebody says, Gabriel, go tell... Go tell Daniel the interpretation of this dream. So he came near, verse 17, to where he was standing. And when he came, I was frightened and I fell on my face, but said to him, Son of man, understand that the vision pertains to the time of the end. Now while he was talking with me, I sank into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and made me stand upright. And he said, Behold, I'm going to let you know what will occur at the final period of the indignation. For it pertains to the appointed time of the end. The ram which you saw with the two horns represents the kings of Media and Persia. And then he goes into, just for sake of time, I encourage you to read this on your own. He goes into the interpretation of all the other things that I've explained to you all the way down to verse 25. And here's what's interesting. Gabriel, this angel, appears as a man and says this vision has relevance Not just, Daniel, to what you're going to maybe see in your lifetime, but this vision also has relevance to what will happen, he says, in the end time. So it's going to happen through this person called Antiochus, but it's also going to happen down near the end through a person known as the Antichrist. And here's some descriptors of both Antiochus and the Antichrist that are true. Antiochus was a ruler over a group of great nations. We are going to see, perhaps in my lifetime, probably in the lifetime of some of our children that go in this church, I believe, a ruler that's going to rise over in the Middle East. And all these countries that are wanting to go to war against Israel, all of a sudden, this person is going to be able to get everybody to get along. And they're going to be seen as a great person and a great communicator. And they'll be seen as a great winner. And so when you start seeing somebody like that and you start watching, 
couple of things that could indicate that is the Antichrist is they will also go back in and desecrate the temple and they will also be a great hater of the Jewish people. Now pick your candidate this week because if you turn on the TV, there will be a lot of leaders in a lot of different countries who are talking about Israel shouldn't do this and Israel shouldn't do that and the Jews shouldn't do this and the Jews shouldn't do that. So... As they say, stay tuned. We'll see what happens. So we see as this interpretation finishes, verse 26, the vision of the evenings and mornings which has been told us is true, but keep the vision secret for it pertains to many days in the future. Again, he's saying, Daniel, this, comes, this is going to happen in the end times. And then here's what happens. Daniel says this, I, Daniel was exhausted and sick for days. Then I got up again and carried on the king's business, but I was astounded at the vision and there was no one to explain it. I don't know about you, but I read things like this. You know me by now. I write down a lot of questions as I read. I underline, I highlight. By the way, if you don't do that in your Bible, you have permission. Write in that Bible. Get you a notebook. Write in there. Color it. Helps you remember that's one of the reasons we have an outline. It's not so that you'll write down all the great things the preacher says. It's so as you write it down, you will remember what you write. Find you a translation of the Bible that you understand. When I, when I read this and I write down these things, here's, what I, here's the question that came to my mind this week. God, if all that is true, and I believe it is, and all that chaos is going to happen, and I believe it will, and all these things are coming, and I believe they are, what do you want me to do about it? I'm so glad Daniel tells us what to do about it. Daniel says, I was exhausted and I was sick for days. But then I got up and carried on the king's business. Two points and we're done. Here's the first one. Daniel was right with God. No doubt when all these things are happening in his life, he could have been looking at all this stuff going, wait a minute, God, I'm serving you. You're going to allow these things to happen. I serve you. I want to love you. All this is going to happen. He could have been, woe is me. But instead of that, he turned his eyes to the Lord. Church, I just want to tell you, now is the time for you and I to be right with God. If you and I are playing around with anything that's not about the king, why are we wasting time? We don't have time to waste. In our personal life, in our family life, with our kids, with our church. Maybe you find yourself here today and you're looking about all this stuff that's going on in the world and you're, you're a little frightened. I always want to encourage you not to be frightened. You know how you cannot be frightened? Surrender your life 100% to the God Almighty who's in control. The Lion and the Lamb who loves you, who has a great plan for your future. Not of harm, but of hope, a future. God has a great plan for you. Trust in Him. Give your life to Him. If you haven't done that today, in just a minute, we're going to have a song at the end of the service. I'm going to invite you to do that. There's nothing difficult about it. There's nothing challenging about it. You simply come to God and just say, Lord, I need you. Save me. I need you. I'm a sinner. I've fallen short. And I know you lived a perfect life. And I rest in the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice that you gave on the cross. I want to be right with you. There is none righteous, no, not one.
the Bible says, outside of the grace of Jesus Christ. So are you right with God today? The eastern sky split open tomorrow. And Jesus Christ came in riding on a cloud that we just sung about. Wow! You ready? Second thing I see that Daniel tells us. It's hard to get a different interpretation out of this because he pretty much says it like it is. He carried on with the king's business. Likewise, we should be more concerned with the king's business, with God's business. God has a lot for us individually and his crossroads. He has a lot for our church to do. It's time to get on with the king's business. The things that God has called us to do, it's time to get on with those things. So if you're right with the Lord today, fantastic. If you're not, I invite you to get right with the Lord. You don't have to be fearful of a nightmare or fearful of a vision. You can place your trust and your hope in Jesus. Because he loves you. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord, that though sometimes we read, we read Scripture and it is challenging, and sometimes difficult maybe even to understand, the two things that are crystal clear in the life of Daniel and especially in that chapter, as though he was panicked and worried and sick, After this vision, he ran to you. Lord, maybe there's someone here within this room, within the sound of my voice today, that they they need to do that this morning. I pray, God, that they would be obedient to your Holy Spirit. Lord, perhaps there's some of us today that need to recommit ourselves to the king's business. God, it is so, so difficult. What, what I'm saying is not easy. I know it's not easy even for me. But it is so difficult not to get distracted by the things that the world says are important. Would you remind us this is not our home? This is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven with you. Give us heavenly minds, give us a vision. For what you see, give us eyes of Christ. Give us hands and feet that want to be about the king's business. Church family, I love you today. I pray that as you're praying right now, would you just ask the Lord, God, with what I've heard today, what what do you want me to do about it, Lord? And I dare say, church, I dare say, I, I, I do not believe God would say to you or to me, rest on your laurels. You've got a millennia to waste before I return. I really don't believe he'd say that. I truly believe he'd say, would you join me, the creator of the world? Would you put your hand in my hand, the creator of the world, and let's get about the king's business together.
you need to recommit yourself to that this morning, I'll be here. I'm going to ask my friend Heath to come and stand with me. The front will be open, the altar, these steps where you can pray, you can kneel at the chairs at the front. Just do business as the Lord leads you this morning. In just a moment, we're going to stand. Brandon's going to lead us in a song. And don't, hey, If you want to sing, that's great, but don't allow the song and the singing to be an excuse for you to slip out of that seat and come down front and pray if you need to do that today. Father, I pray you'd have your way during this service, during this invitation. That when we leave this place, we can all say together, we are going about the king's business. That is my prayer for these friends in this room in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Brandon's going to lead us. If you need to sing, that's great. If you need to grab a hand, we'd love to pray with you. If you need to grab a step and kneel and pray, you're welcome to do that this morning as we sing together. We fall down. We lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads. We're so glad that you joined us for the message today. If Pastor Jack or any of our team can serve you, please reach out to us. You can send us an email at jack at hope at crossroads.org or by visiting our website. We would be most grateful to know where you are listening because we have people all over the world listening to our podcast. You can send us a message through our website. We would appreciate your prayers for us as we are in the midst of a building campaign to reach more children and families in our local community in Greenville County, South Carolina. If you would like to help, you can always make your gift online at our website, hope at crossroads.org. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads.